Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. We sing of the nails and the spear that pierced the Lord, even as we consider him lying in the manger. And that calls us to confess our sins uh, as we remember why he came. So Matthew chapter 1 this morning, near the very beginning of the New Testament. Hear God's word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Thus far the reading of God's word. There's much to consider here regarding the purity and the mercy of Joseph. He maintains purity with Mary before their marriage. Instead of breaking off the marriage as he was planning, assuming her unfaithfulness, he listens to the angel and decides to marry her anyway. Decent neighbors in Nazareth would look down on him for this, for not rejecting a brazen sinner as they would consider her. But he doesn't put so much stake in being thought righteous as in being righteous. That's the first point of conviction for us this morning to confess. Too often we care more about the appearance of godliness before men than the reality of godliness before the Lord himself. The second point comes from the key word quietly. It was Joseph's right at this point to accuse Mary publicly before the elders. But Joseph refrains from accusing. Instead, he shows mercy by not making a public stink about it. Sometimes we need to overlook an offense instead of go running to our parents with it, or certainly we shouldn't go gossip with our friends about it. A third point of conviction is that Joseph thought he was showing great mercy to put her away quietly. But God wanted him to go even further than that, to marry her, to claim the child as his own. Just as God went much further with us, uh, he didn't just refrain from punishing us, he receives us in love instead. And so Joseph does with Mary. And the last point, Joseph thought Mary was in the wrong, but she wasn't. And we can get in that, when we get in that accusatory frame of mind, we often assume guilt in others when we should not. So that's another point to consider. We often find ourselves accusing others in our heart, and we ought not. Well, let's confess our sins before Almighty God. Please kneel if you're able, and we'll, I will lead us in a prayer of confession. We turn now to our 
gospel text, Luke chapter 1, where we hear of the announcement to Mary of the birth of Jesus. Luke 1, verse 26. And let's pray before we read God's word again. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this word. In your light we see light. Uh, Open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things in your word. For these are wonderful things indeed. Uh, Give us understanding. Uh, Give us uh, a proper fear of you. Give us a willingness to receive and to uh, be changed by this word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Luke 1, verse 26. Hear God's inerrant word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The grass withers, the flower fades, but God's word stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. I once had the interesting experience of a a person coming to church where I was pastoring who was convinced that Christmas uh, happened in March. He said, I know Christmas happened in March. And people have all kinds of theories, you know, that how this goes. But he pointed to this passage in this first verse, Luke 1, 26. And he said, look, it says it right there. In the sixth month, Gabriel came to Mary. So obviously, Gabriel came to Mary in June. That's the sixth month. And nine months from June is March. So Christmas happened in March. It was one of those frustrating moments as a pastor where you need to uh, help people to see the context of the Bible and realize that the Bible's not always speaking in our categories, right? They didn't even have our January to December calendar. The sixth month here, of course, is speaking of Elizabeth's time uh, being uh, pregnant. Uh, and so the angel comes in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, not in the sixth month of our calendar. So it, that's just a, a small kind of humorous uh, reminder, warning for us to be careful how we read the Bible. Sometimes we're reading the Bible with our own categories and we need to take into account the context of things and it may come out differently. Well, uh, the angel comes to Mary in the sixth month. Uh, And this is Gabriel coming to Mary. Gabriel, the servant and the messenger of God. 
And we're going to learn as we go here that God doesn't require uh, the great, uh, great people, strong, powerful people to do His will, but he, he is seeking faithful and fearing and willing people, however uh, normal, uh, insignificant it seems uh, they are. So the blessing first in these first few verses. Gabriel comes to Mary. Gabriel is the servant and the messenger of God. The last time we saw him in the Bible, I always love to point this out, was in that Daniel passage that we read. Gabriel only shows up in the Bible a couple, two, three times, and here's two of them. Daniel 9 and Luke 1. And I'm fairly convinced, I haven't done a a ton of research on all the exact details, but in Daniel 9... Uh, Gabriel comes to Daniel and says, it's going to be 70 weeks until everlasting righteousness is established. And that was apocalyptic language for 490 years. Uh, 70 weeks is 70 sevens, and each of those is a year, 490 years. Uh, I'm fairly certain that comes out from Daniel's time to the birth of Christ or the, uh, the crucifixion of Christ, whichever it may be. So Gabriel comes to Daniel and predicts the time, and then he comes to Mary and predicts that the time is done, and here, here's, the, here's the birth. Uh, same, same Gabriel uh, in each case. Gabriel comes to Nazareth. Remember I pointed out last, before that Nazareth is, comes from the Hebrew word netzer, which is branch. Right? This is Branchville. Uh, and there's Old Testament prophecies that say the branch will come forth. The branch is the Messiah. Uh, it's also interesting, I've realized that uh, Joseph and Mary, when they come back from Egypt uh, with Jesus, they, they're going to go live in Judah, but they learn that, that Herod is, is ruling there, and that's a, a bit dangerous. And so they decide instead to go to Nazareth. Well, Nazareth was Mary's hometown. So that's, that's a very normal kind of living pattern, if you will, right? Uh, a couple gets married, they're deciding where to live, where's the job going to be? Well, two of the main uh, plan A and plan B is usually uh, where the husband lives or where the wife came from. And that's what Mary and Joseph do. They go to Nazareth, where Mary grew up. Normal living patterns going on here. Mary's a virgin, she's engaged to Joseph. Joseph is of the house of David. And Gabriel uh, comes in and says, verse 28, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now I read from the English Standard Version today that if you look at the, the King James, you have the, the standard Roman Catholic prayer, right? Hail Mary, full of grace. That's what Gabriel says to Mary. I wanted to pause just a moment to consider that, that prayer in uh, the Roman Catholic tradition. Uh, hail, for one thing, is, is an ambiguous word. Right? We just sang in uh, Hark the Herald, hail the son of righteousness. Right? In that phrase, the word hail means worship, uh, adore. Uh, I, I'm not only greeting you, I'm uh, proclaiming you as a great one to be worshipped. Right? But hail can also have another meaning, which is just greetings which is the way the English Standard Version translates it here, probably to, to help us not to go towards the worship of Mary. So Mary is greeted by Gabriel, not worshipped by him, first of all. This isn't a prayer either. Gabriel is simply saying, hello. Mary has received grace, right? You, um, verse 28 again, O favored one. 
And there again, that's favor and grace are the same word. So in the King James, you'll have full of grace. Well, the idea there is not that she's a source of grace, but that she's a recipient of grace. Right? That's, that's Mary. You could say highly graced one, uh, for example. Mary is certainly blessed above all women in being the mother of our Lord, but, but not in being a perpetual virgin or being conceived without sin herself or being a source of aid or grace for others. Those are all things that Rome says are true of Mary, but the Bible doesn't claim those things for her. We don't pray to her because that would assume that she can hear us or help us, and only God can in prayer. Now, I bring all this up not so much to just beat up on Rome, but to show you that Mary is a normal person like us. That's the first point I want to really drive home here. Mary is a normal person. Uh, like you or me. It might help, too, to remember that uh, they married really young back then. Mary is most likely a teenager, and it's a good chance that she's 13 to 15 years old. So I see a couple of teenage girls in the crowd today. Consider that that's your situation. You're Mary, and Gabriel comes to you, right? It's, it's that Mary's a normal person like you or me. God does not require great extra-holy saints to do His will perfectly, to advance His plan. He calls for normal people like us. We are like Mary in this way. We have received grace from God out of the blue to receive the gospel, to be brought in uh, to uh, God's work among His people. Uh, Some of us play more visible parts in that, like Mary does, but we're all engaged to confess Christ and to serve Him, as we say at our baptism. So we've all been blessed to have God come to us out of the blue, to tell us the good news, and to move us to believe it. I think there's a connection there. This is why we read from those New Testament passages that speak of the Word being implanted in us and, and growing in us and producing faith, right? There's a, I think there's an analogy there. You don't want to take this too far. But the eternal Word is implanted in Mary, and comes forth and brings our salvation. In a similar way, the Word of God is implanted in our souls and bears fruit. And by God's blessing, uh, uh, th- there's uh, fertile ground there. Uh, and we uh, produce fruit by the Word that God plants in us. So that's the blessing that Mary receives and that we also receive. Uh, second point is her response, verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Oh, where is this going? An angel appears and, and starts talking you up like, whoa, what, what's going on? So she's disturbed. I mean, imagine an angel appearing to you, obviously a greater being in many ways, and blessing you, you know, talking you up. And, and Mary, like others in the Bible, is probably tempted to bow down and worship the angel. And here this angel is blessing her as a great one this 14-year-old girl from backwoods Nazareth. What, what's going on? And, and again, if we think of 2 Samuel 7, this is kind of like David sitting before the Lord saying, who am I that you would do this for me? It's like uh, Gideon, if you remember the story of Gideon, the least in the tribes of Israel, right? He's trying to hide his crops from the raiding bands. And the angel comes and says, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. 
And Gideon probably gives out a horse laugh. Like, mighty man of valor. What are you, joking? I'm hiding out here from the pirates, hoping they don't find me because they're way too strong for us. Mary's wondering, what's going on here? What kind of announcement is this? But here's the key. God spoke that way, as he did to Gideon and to David. Gabriel speaks this way to Mary because of what he was going to do. Not according to the situation that they found themselves in, not, in, not according to how capable Mary was, but according to what God was going to do in her life. So we need to remember our natural response to circumstances, maybe to an angel appearing too, of course, but just to normal life. Our natural response is often the wrong one. Don't fear. Don't be troubled. God's word's going to change everything. When the world around gives us cause for fear, God gives tidings of comfort and joy. And he gives us all by a word. He's in charge of your destiny, and he promises you as his child in Christ to see you through your mess, to save you, to take you home. So the word of God coming, that's what changes everything. That's why we put so much focus on the advent, the coming of the incarnate word. So Mary's troubled at first, and so the angel responds right away. Verse 30 to 33, this is the main message here. First of all, don't be afraid. You found favor with God. You will have a baby, verse 31, and he will be great. And he's going to be the, the, the son of David, the one that God promised. The Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. That's surely a reference back to 2 Samuel 7 that we read, where God promised David, I'm going to give you an offspring, uh, one who will come after you, who will sit on your throne forever. So we uh, often read that in in a natural way to say, well, that must be Solomon, because Solomon's going to be a son who sits on the throne after David. But the last word of that promise is forever. Solomon didn't sit on the throne forever, uh, but a son of David, Jesus, comes, who does. He continues right now to sit on the throne of David, and to reign and to rule. So that's, that's the essence of the message. Fear not, you have God's favor. And just a brief Christmas aside here, that favor is not something that we earn, right? When it says that you found favor with God, that's not because there's some kind of merit that Mary had that earned her that favor. No. It's one of the most insidious things that creeps its way into Christmas traditions, right? It's the Santa Claus uh, myth. What does Santa do? He knows everything about you. He knows if you've been naughty or if you've been nice. And if you've been naughty, it's going to be coal for you. And if you've been nice, well, then everybody gets, seems to get presents anyway, it turns out. There's uh, some great uh, memes out there on social media where, where Calvin steps in and he says, You've all been naughty. That's all there is to it. Santa's wrong. There's not a naughty in a nice list. You've all been naughty. We all get coal. That's the theological truth. So watch out for that insidious lie that sneaks its way into an otherwise innocuous tradition. We're not getting rewards from God based on if we've been naughty or nice. Uh, We're given grace because we've all been naughty. 
Well, the, the key, of course, is the birth announcement and the, the sermon title, the, the king's birth announcement. That's what we have here. The king is mentioned in verse 32, the, the birth in verse uh, 31. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. I was thinking about this this past week. Most of the, the most beloved Advent passages that we look to in this season are all announcements, Right? For unto us a child is born, Isaiah 9, uh, this one here. Uh, they're all announcements, uh, all those prophecies, uh, Micah 5, uh, you, Bethlehem, you're, you're, uh, you're little, but one is going to come from you who will stand and feed his flock. It's all birth announcements. That's the main point here, that a son is going to be born. Call his name Jesus. He will be great. He'll be the son of the Most High, verse 32. And he will have the throne of his father David. So this is a king. This is a future king who will have uh, David's throne. This, in a sense, has been what Israel's been looking for ever since the exile, ever since that their kingdom uh, collapsed uh, when it was invaded and conquered and they were carted off to Assyria. Uh, ever since then, 400 uh, more years ago, uh, like that Gabriel timeline, Israel's been looking for a, a son of David to take the throne again. And here Gabriel promises this to Mary. I need to talk about that more in a moment. But again, this is King David's successor forever. It fulfills 2 Samuel 7 uh, far, in a far greater way than David ever could have imagined. David's just thinking, I, I want to have my line continue as every earthly king does. Everybody wants to stay in the Oval Office. Everybody wants uh, to continue to rule, right? But far greater than that, uh, you have Jesus coming who will sit on the throne forever. So, and that's, that's part of David's, um, part of the gracious reward that God gives to David is the greatest one who has ever lived, Jesus, the only one who has ever lived a perfectly righteous life, the one who died to take all the sins of all his people away, the one who's exalted to the right hand of God himself, is known as the son of David. Wow. What a, what a glorious reward that God gives to David, that his son, Jesus, will be known as the son of David. It's quite astounding the way God elevates David there. Anyway, the message is that the king will be born, uh, the son of David. And then Mary has a question, verse 34 to 37. How can that happen? And she has just a basic biological question. How can I have a baby without knowing a man? And here's the basic miracle of Christmas. It usually takes a man and a woman to have a baby, but God steps in with no man. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, uh, Gabriel says. Notice the discrete word overshadow, right? Uh, so the, the angel explains a, a bit of what this is. I'm sure she still had questions. It's not like she gets a full-scale, detailed explanation that answers everything. Oh, okay. I get it now, okay. No, probably still has questions. But instead of giving a complete detailed ex uh, explanation, uh, Gabriel points to Elizabeth, verse 36. Your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived, and she's in her sixth, sixth month already. That's evidence to help her to believe. And that's a similar process that, that we go through, again, as the word is implanted in us, 
and God gives us faith to believe, he also gives us signs. He gives us confirmations of that. We have more evidence in Scripture, uh, like God giving the promised child to Abraham and, uh, and uh, Sarah, right, in their old age. So you've got a, a pattern there, a similar biological miracle that took place way back in Genesis 15, 17, 21. Uh, that it's a similar miracle, but of course the virgin birth adds a whole level of impossibility, right? But it's similar enough that you see God's done something kind of like this before, now even greater, because it's his even greater son. Gabriel closes with uh, uh, verse 37, reminding Mary, nothing is impossible with God. And then Mary's response, we'll close with this, but this is really the, the key this morning. The, the response that Mary has needs to be ours as well. She says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And that's her response. She's willing to serve. Let happen to me what you've said. Whatever God wants, whatever he says, let that be it. And that needs to be our response. It reminds me of... Uh, some humorous talk about Paul, uh, or not Paul, Peter more. Uh, Peter is often prone to say to Jesus uh, two words that just don't fit together, right? Peter will often say to Jesus, no, Lord, that doesn't fit. You don't say, you don't say no, Lord, and, and Mary is avoiding that. She's saying, yes, Lord, you're the Lord, therefore what you say, I'll, I'll do. That's her willingness to serve. Uh, so Mary's response continues uh, and ought to be our response in, in two ways. She doesn't say, oh, I get it now. Okay. Right? We're, we're tempted to do that. To say, once I understand what you're doing here, Lord, then I'll be willing. She doesn't say that. She hasn't gotten a full explanation. Right? We're, we're often troubled or confused by the way God is working in our lives. We can't figure it out. And God doesn't always call us to figure it out. Uh, J.I. Packer, in his great book, Knowing God, uh, we've got a couple of those back on the table, by the way. If you don't have that or haven't read that, grab one of those. Classic work. Uh, Packer speaks of that. He's, a, he's from, uh, got a British kind of background, so he talks about trains and being in the control box, right? And if you're in the control box, then you can see the whole landscape. You know where all the trains are and what all the schedules are and where they're all moving so that there's not going to be an accident and everything like that. And, and Packer says, uh, we, we think that we need to be in the control box to know God and, and to really worship him. But that's not what God calls us to. That isn't wisdom. It isn't given to us to see all the, the grand schemes and trends and everything. We don't have to figure things out like that to respond faithfully. And Mary here, without uh, understanding it all, uh, knows she's been given the evidence. They know Elizabeth. Elizabeth's pregnant, I'm going to go check that out. Uh, and she uh, believes God. Receiving the news, in one sense, just means believing it. Uh, so that's one thing. But we're called to believe God's word. Even if we have questions, uh, we don't understand how this verse fits with that verse, uh, how does this piece of theology fit with that piece, we don't have to know all of that in order to respond in faith to God. We ought to seek to grow in wisdom and knowledge, of course, uh, but we don't hold back and hold ourselves back from trusting ourselves to God until we know it all, that we trust the Lord. So second thing is, notice that the, the path that this sets Mary on, it's a path of difficulty. 
and shame and reproach. I think this much she probably knew. She's going to be thought unfaithful by many right in her small village. Right in her act of greatest submission, Mary's going to be thought unfaithful and a, a brazen sinner. And that probably wouldn't be cleared up anytime soon. The Jews accused Jesus of being born of fornication very late in his ministry. That, that was still going around. He dies in disgrace on a cross. I think Mary understood at, at least an inkling of the difficulty this was going to cause for her. And Jesus says, we're going to face trouble in the world. They're going to think that they're doing the right thing when they marginalize us, when they punish us, when they kill us. They're going to think, the world's going to think they're doing a great thing for God. And when we see that happen in the world today. Mary was ostracized early on. Then she sees her son die on a cross. But then what? Mary's life didn't end there. Right? Jesus comes back to life. Mary, I think, is supported by the church. And we are pretty sure that Luke interviews her when he writes this gospel. Mary's story is told. She's sought out for her wisdom, for her understanding by believers. So what I'm getting at is that Mary's life follows the ark of Christ's. First it's humiliation, and then it's exaltation. Right? And, And that's similar for us. We follow the same pattern. Believing in the Lord might lead to trouble for you. Uh, Hebrews 13 even exhorts us to, to embrace that trouble. Go out to the, uh, outside the city to the cross. Embrace that. But there will come a time of exaltation as well. A time of vindication. Either in this life or in the next. The key for us is often the timing. right? We, we often think well, we've done all the sacrificing that we need to do and it's time to be exalted. Right? Not, not always likely. Uh, but generally, this is why the Bible says that it's good for the young to bear their burden and for the old to be honored and stand in their presence. There's a sense of that even in, in this life before that glory, that we uh, honor those who have uh, borne the burden, who have sacrificed. So humiliation, exaltation, that happens in Mary's life. Our part is first to faithfully receive the gospel news and the blessing that God gives us as part of it. That's our our calling, our vocation. We each have a unique calling by God, a path he calls us to walk. In one sense, it's common with all believers. But in another sense, our circumstances are unique, right? Uh, Your co-workers, your clients, your customers, your neighbors, your friends, those are unique to you. And you don't have to have the angel Gabriel come into your house. You already have a calling from God to faithfully receive the gospel news of the birth of Jesus and then to go tell it on the mountain like the shepherds did. Uh, Just a postscript today is the next couple of verses where Mary goes to Elizabeth. uh, And uh, notice that each character in the gospels, in, in the Advent stories, uh, receive a different or a different angle on the piece of the news. Right? Zechariah is told about John earlier in Luke chapter 1. Joseph is told other things about Jesus in Matthew 1. The shepherds are told other things in Luke chapter 2. And part of a faithful response uh, that we ought to have is to piece together the news as it's given to various people. 
And that's why we need each other as the church. Uh, often we think, well, I've, I've got the word. I can understand this better than other people talking at me. I can figure it out myself. But that's not how God reveals himself. He reveals himself uh, in his word, of course, but in various ways that help us understand. Uh, Malachi 3.16 is, is a good verse for this. It says, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another because they each had a piece of the understanding of what God wanted them to do. And we find that in when we come to the Word. The church has done much of this work for us, right? Luke wrote down some of Mary's testimony in his book here. Others put the scriptures together for us, translated it. We need to keep piecing together what God has done, how he's working in our lives. And one way to do this is to read good books together like we've been doing. That's what a theologian does, right? Pieces together the scriptures so we can see the gospel with greater clarity. So Mary goes to Elizabeth. Uh, they, they talk together. They learn from each other what God is doing. Uh, that's part of our response as well. Well, I'll close there. The, the, the main point, again, God doesn't require us to be great or significant to do his will, but simply to be normal, faithful, fearing, willing people. Have you received the news of Jesus' birth with faith, uh, with a willingness to do what God wants? Do you know him for your king? Do you follow him as your king? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, we give you thanks for your word. Thank you that you've given us uh, uh, people like Mary to look to, uh, to see how we are to respond to you. Give us willingness, Lord. Give us... Uh, an ability to count the cost, to know that trouble will come for following you in this world. But also, Lord, give us a, a clear eye to your promises of exaltation, of vindication of your people, of your Son, as the nations prove the glories of your righteousness. Lord, let us strive and work for that as we bring the gospel to our neighbors and to our world. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, the ever-living Word, and we sing this in Christ. Corinthians chapter 9 is our communion exhortation today. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. The point of the message today was to faithfully receive the news of Christ's birth, as Mary did. And now, you are seated at the king's table with the opportunity to practice what we are supposed to do. So, believe these things. Jesus took on physical human nature to redeem it. Not to surrender the physical world to the devil, but to redeem it. Jesus was born to deliver his people from their sins in his body, sacrificed at the cross. Christ has enriched you, obtaining the Father's favor for you. Jesus took the eternal throne of his earthly ancestor David in fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. This kingdom is no longer limited to ethnic Jews. He rules the world with truth and grace. And so as you receive food into your body, you trust those who set it before you that it is good for you. In the same way, receive this news with faith and joy in your hearts. We need Jesus like we need food, so we eat and drink. He's given us far better than we deserved. So let us thank him by communing with him 
proclaiming his death until he comes. We do invite to the Lord's table all those who are baptized and under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. As you eat the bread and drink the cup with us, you are acknowledging that you are a sinner without hope except in the sovereign mercy of God, that you're trusting in Christ alone for salvation. So come and welcome to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.